Good morning again, Your Honors. May it please the Court. In 2015, the United States Supreme Court, of course, struck down the residual clause of the Armed Career Criminal Act in a case we all know, United States versus Johnson. For those who were sentenced under the ACCA's specific residual clause, the choice to file a 2255 at that time was obvious. Um, Pursuant to authority, you have one year from a significant Supreme Court case to raise any potential claim that you might have related to that case. People with final judgments whose cases were affected by the same residual clause language in the guidelines and in other statutes had some choices to make, though. It wasn't clear at that time. Welch didn't come down for another year. So it wasn't clear how expansive the Johnson decision was going to be or whether the court would ultimately make it retroactively applicable to cases on collateral review. Mr. Williams, like many others, took the safest approach. He did the latter of the two things. He filed a first 2255 petition within a year of Johnson, arguing that the crime of violence definition in the guidelines are, it was unconstitutionally vague for the same reasons articulated in the Johnson decision. Mr. Williams was represented by the Federal Defender's Office. On the face of the pleading, he actually requested at the specific time the 2255 was filed that it be stayed until January 2nd of 2017 or until further motion of the parties. The motion also represented on the face of it that the government joined in this request for stay. So from the moment that this petition was filed, nobody was taking action on it. The government knew it, the court knew it, and Mr. Williams knew it. It was a preservative, legal, precautionary action specifically to take advantage of the Johnson decisions should the Supreme Court ultimately determine this would be the only way that Mr. Williams could avoid being barred if he didn't raise a claim within one year. So he made a legal attempt to preserve the issue. Beckles, of course, gets decided in March of 2017 uh, after the district court issues a show cause order about three days after Beckles was decided, Mr. Williams decided to voluntarily dismiss his claim, and he did so citing Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 41A1A1. He did not say with or without prejudice and by operation of Rule 41A1B. In an ordinary civil case, that, of course, would operate to make that dismissal without prejudice, meaning it's a nullity. It never actually happened. This, of course, is a habeas case, uh, which is well settled that habeas cases are civil in nature and that the federal rules of civil procedure... Are they ordinary civil cases, though? Well, they they are civil in nature, and the rules of civil procedure apply to these cases to the extent... um, So basically, they're ordinary for all practical purposes, except to the extent that those rules are inconsistent with rules specifically applicable to habeas or statues um, from from AEDPA. Um, So it it is different than the typical case, but the rules are still designed to apply. So the question we have here today is, is it inconsistent with EDPA's rules prohibiting second or successive petitions to give Mr. Williams the benefit of Rule 41 and proclaim that his Johnson-based 2255 is actually a nullity um, and to treat it as if it had never been brought? This is important because Mr. Williams attempted to file another habeas claim later, which upon review the district court determined was second or successive and thus found that it had lacked uh, jurisdiction to move further. As I understand it, this is 
based on Borden. Yes, his, uh, Mr. Williams' second petition is an ineffective assistance of counsel claim premised on his attorney's failure to raise right Borden. Borden has not yet been declared retroactive. It has not been declared retroactively applicable. That is correct, Your Honor. Uh, Mr. Williams did file that second in time 2255 petition pursuant to Borden within one year of that decision. Um, whether or not there is any merit to his second 2255 is really not the issue right now. The question Do you agree is, with the cases that say uh, if a petitioner sees the writing on the wall that his claim is going to lose and withdraws it, that that should count as a prior petition? Your Honor, I think that is consistently what the case law holds. Um, there have been several unpublished dispositions from uh, several do different circuits. That proposition, or do you dispute it? You think we should adopt that rule? Or I no? don't think you should you adopt don't. quite such a hard rule, Your Honor. Um, is that what happened here, more or less? That for all practical purposes, Your Honor, there's nothing that I can point to in the record that would say anything other than Beckles is the reason that this case was so dismissed. So if we adopted that rule, then it would, the district court would be correct. Correct, uh, yes. So why, why isn't that a good rule? Well, Your Honor, I suggest uh, we need to do two things when we're examining whether that without prejudice uh, provision of the federal rules of civil procedure is consistent with EDPA, whether we can apply that or not. And we need to look at pre-EDPA law, and we look, need to look specifically at the reasons um, why Congress put these restrictions on multiple attempts at habeas corpus relief. And in particular, here, Your Honor, I don't actually see any inconsistency. Um, when an individual is put in a position such as Mr. Williams, and many people were after the Johnson decision, this language in the Johnson case in the ACCA was identical um, to language that had a very significant effect on his sentence. I don't think, I think that the court has the discretion, the language of Rule 12, right? The, the federal rule of civil procedure can be applied or may be applied to the extent that they are not inconsistent uh, with the rules governing habeas corpus relief. I think that gives this court a lot of discretion. And I think that this court could easily stop short of saying, no matter what, if the writing was on the wall, and make some sort of an exception for someone who does precisely what Mr. Williams does here, which is make an extremely minimal precautionary effort to serve or to preserve a very discreet legal issue. It was never briefed by the government. He went into the court essentially making clear that this is all that he was doing. No one expended any resources on this. No one put any time into this case. And in this particular situation, I do think that the court could carve an exception in its discretion to find that this does not is not inconsistent with EDPA. In fact, I, I suggest that this would actually encourage uh, defendants to make wise choices that won't require a lot of additional litigation. This is the type of thing that the court can sit back and look specifically on the record. We don't need a mini trial. We don't need any additional information. You can look right here and you can see this is why he did what he did. As soon as uh, we got some clarification uh, then he dismissed the action. It didn't cause any harm to anyone or, or, or eliminate resources. Now, is this, if, if not successive, is, is this second petition 
timely only if equitable tolling provides applies your honor the district court never actually reached any of these issues isn't that what you would have to argue i believe we would need to argue both that the board in 2255 petition is timely and that it would um, have potential for success on the merits i do think this would require uh, that the the clock didn't start running until Borden was issued. The, the second 2255 petition was filed within a year of Borden, so were the Supreme Court to hold that Borden is retroactively to, applicable to cases on collateral review, and in particular to cases involving uh, the career offender guideline. Oh, if, if this was up today, with Borden not declared retroactive, now what's your argument? Stay it? I, I think we decide this issue, remand for the district court to decide that question in the first instance. Well, I just, I mean, we're talking about one of the things that pre-EDPA law did was try to conserve resources. And that, you're asking the, the consumption of many resources, and I'm trying to see what, what has to go, what has to happen for you to prevail, even get considered uh, the Borden issue on the merits. I think there are some conflicting interests here. As far as the issue that the court is faced with specifically today, whether this is a second or uh, successive petition, I submit that it is not. Uh, Certainly, this court does have the authority to decide the appeal on any basis. I mean, it looks like abuse of the writ to me. Well, and certainly, Your Honor. And he couldn't have brought up, he couldn't have made the Borden claim when he filed the first motion and preserve, and, you know, preserve the the Beckles issue and assert the Borden issue. That is certainly plausible, Your Honor. I can't actually speak so to Mr. Williams' that. choices in the second petition. I, I did not represent Pardon? him. He filed his second petition pro se, Your Honor. Oh, that's fine. I mean, he was yeah, smart to do so. Certainly. Certainly. Uh, in, in any event, this court can, of course, decide on any basis supported by the record, and that would be one option, Your Honor. Um, my time has expired. I will sit down unless the court has further questions. Thank you, Ms. Jansen. Mr. Trimmel. Uh, Mark Tremel, a US, assistant U.S. attorney, uh, Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Uh, first thing I wanted to note was uh, we did uh, file a 28-J letter this morning citing uh, the 2012 Griffin case. Late-breaking authority. Yeah, uh, I apologize, Your Honor. We're preparing for the argument. I read the case. Um, we don't think it's on point, but cited that. Basically, the district court granted a 2255 um, for failure to file a notice of appeal, dismissed the other two uh, 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 ineffective assistants without prejudice. It was, the defendant was resentenced. After resentencing, appealed, and then uh, this court basically enforced the appeal waiver and said, you still can file another uh, uh, 2255, uh, and then it cited a couple of unpublished cases, and it used the language about um, without prejudice, uh, and so we cited that. But basically, it falls within the, the whole realm here of is it procedural issues where a petitioner um, is limited to one opportunity to get a decision on the merits, and there's some reason why there's a procedural um, problem with that, or is it a dismissal based on the merits? And the cases really fall into those categories. In Thai, uh, the defendant didn't understand English. He had a jailhouse lawyer. That was considered a procedural issue. Uh, This Griffin case from uh, this circuit, um, 
It was a procedural issue. Uh, Garrett, the Seventh Circuit case, that was a pro se person who withdrew because he lacked legal training. That was a, a procedural issue. Um, Wilkins, uh, or Williams v. Clark, which the defense cites in this case, uh, that's a 2254 case, exhaustion of remedies. So when you have a concern that a petitioner, especially if the petitioner is pro se, doesn't have the opportunity to get a decision on the merits, that falls in, in one side of the ledger. The other side is when you have dismissal that is based on the merits or the, the defendant has an opportunity for a decision on the merits. And there you have the Potts case uh, uh, from the Seventh Circuit. Um, you have the cases we cited, Rejda, Raymond, and Moore, which are all Beckles cases. And this case is uh, in the second camp. It's a Beckles case. It was a merits-based thing. It wasn't that there was a um, uh, pro se petitioner or someone who didn't understand and didn't have his, uh, his fair shot. Um, How is this a merits conclusion? Uh, because based on the, because it was a Johnson, it was a Johnson 2255, Your Honor, and then when Beckles came down, it was very clear that on the merits, this, this petition was going to lose. And so therefore, the surrounding circumstances clearly show that, the re that this was withdrawn because of the uh, lack of success of that on the merits, rather than um, a petitioner who didn't understand who, um, how to fill out a form, or a petitioner who filed a 2255 while an appeal was still pending, or a petitioner who had an exhausted remedy. What, what about, uh, what do we do with the, and I think this was argued by appellant, that uh, traditional civil rules interpretation that if you voluntarily dismiss, it's as if there had been nothing filed. Yes, Your Honor, and that, uh, uh, that is uh, subject to 2255 Rule 12, which say the civil rules apply to the extent that they are not inconsistent with the statutes or, um, or, the, or the rules here. And so the question is, are they inconsistent with the second or successive uh, term? Uh, one case that was cited was a Bannister v. Davis. That's a, a U.S. Supreme Court case. And that was a 2254 case. But there, um, I believe it was uh, uh, Justice Kagan talked about how the rules there trump the civil rules if they're, if they're inconsistent. That was a 2254 rather than a 2255. So what this really comes down to, Your Honor, is um, is this second or successive? And it doesn't, if it, if it falls within the definition of second or successive, then the civil rule by its nature doesn't, does not apply in this case. I'm catching up here. It yeah. sounds to me like you're arguing the merits of what Ms. Jansen said she was not arguing today, which is whether we should take this, uh, um, you know, in, in all practical purposes doctrine. Oh, and she, she argues that, that we ought to, that even if we accept what most other courts have done, which is what you're urging us to do now, she's saying this still, still my client still deserves an exception to that if you adopt that as the general rule. And I haven't heard you respond to that. Well, we, we uh, agree with the general rule that that should That's be. That's what you're arguing. That, 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 it, should be, that it should be applied. Um, and the cases that go the other way no, are the. No, uh, respond to the argument, the specific oh. argument she made this morning. Yeah. Why the exception? Because, okay, to the extent that, 
If the general rule, Your Honor, is that someone has an opportunity for a decision on the merits, and then if he dismisses it voluntarily when he sees he's going to lose, if that's the general rule, then an exception to that rule could be cases where there were a procedural issue like these other cases that went the other way. This fits right within the general rule. This is, I decided to file a Johnson petition, and once I saw the Johnson petition was going to lose, now I, with, I want to withdraw it, so I preserve the opportunity to file a different petition. That's, that's different from the other cases. So we agree the general rule does apply here, and we would okay, disagree that an reason, exception should be made. One here. reason the general rule applies, as argued in your brief, is that because he was represented by counsel. And now he's not represented by counsel, and, and, and the counsel in the first motion mm -hmm. could have not only preserved the Beckles issue, but could have asserted, who knows, ineffective assistance, trial counsel, appellate counsel, all the other things that can timely be asserted, including now, perhaps, the Borden issue. And, and Your Honor, the, the key thing is, was he represented by counsel the first time? Because that's the time, did he have a fair shot the first time? And in the cases, some cases, he's pro se the first time, so arguably he doesn't no, have a fair shot. No, here, here he did, so that's no, what The argument is because, he's, because he relied on counsel to do it right the first time, and counsel arguably didn't. There ought to be an exception when, he's, when he, because pro se, he deserves it, well, for lack of a better word. Okay. Let, let me try to respond to it this way. There was an appeal waiver in this case. The only thing preserved in the appeal waiver was ineffective assistance to counsel. That's all you could file a 2255 on. Borden claim was not preserved. So what this is basically, it's what an... he'd argued ineffective assistance? That's what's happening here. So he is arguing ineffective assistance now... Okay, he missed the one year for ineffective assistance if you're going under 2255 F1. And so what he's doing here is saying, well, now I'm going to raise an ineffective assistance because that fits within my appeal waiver. Of post-conviction yeah. And then bootstrap Borden in there. But you only get a one year restarted with no, Borden. I, I, I was ineffective assistance of post-conviction counsel. Why can't that be an exception? I recognize whether oh. that's a viable theory at all is, in, is, is dubious. Okay. I mean, questionable, doubtful. Okay. Okay. But, so you, but why, isn't, why isn't that a potential basis for an exception okay. uh, to this rule that you're supporting? I, I, I think I understand. So the question is, should there be an ineffective assistance exception? I don't see any basis in the case law for that. If that were to be adopted as no, the rule, well, you know, basically... Everybody's been telling us this morning this is a case of first impression. Well, if this, uh, if this um, were to be adopted as the rule, then someone could file a new uh, 2255 based on ineffective assistance well past the one-year statute of limitations under F1. Whenever a new court decision came out, even if it was eight or ten years later, that the, that the defendant now says that counsel should have, re, should have predicted this and relied on it. So I think if that, that were to be adopted as an I think I've had that argument uh, under consideration quite a few times in uh, my year or two on the bench. I, I hope I was, I, I don't know if I answered your so question you, or you, not. You, basically, I, you're saying don't do it. Well, we're definitely saying don't do it. It's an exception that would swallow the rule. If, if any time some, if, if, if the exception were to be to say, 
we should be able to file a new ineffective assistance claim based on new law years later. No, I think the, what makes more sense is this was based on the merits. They saw Beckles, decided Justice, to withdraw. Justice Brennan would say, have at it. I, I, I understand, Your Honor. Um, we would argue that uh, under 2255 uh, Rule 12 that it, uh, this uh, is a uh, attempted a second or successive, and so the district court did not err, and we would ask that the uh, court be affirmed. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Trimble. Thank you also, Ms. Jansen. Thank you.